on Together We Are One Community. How many of you guys have been around for the rest of the sermon series? How many of you guys have enjoyed it? How many of you guys have enjoyed it? <laughs> there we go. That's good to know. I'm, I'm glad. Oh, that's great. Um, so, by the way, if you did not get the chance, if you didn't get the chance to listen to Pastor Derek's me- message last week, if you couldn't be here, make sure that you check it out on the podcast. That was honestly one of the best messages um, that I've ever heard in, in, in context of love and community. And it was super relevant. He talked about a lot of the issues that are going on today. So if you want to know kind of where we stand as a church on some of those relevant issues, a uh, great place to hear that from is our senior pastor. And, and I'm just blessed and honored that he, he allows young people to operate in the church. And so I'm, I'm glad that I get to share with you today. Uh, but I want to propose something to you today as we close out our series on community. It's something uh, that I believe is an issue that isn't being talked about enough in society, uh, but is reflected every day. See, I believe that community is something that is not just a result of our Christian faith, but it is something that becomes a part of what truly defines the Christian faith in itself. See, from the beginning, we know that God said it was not good for man to be alone, for mankind. He established from the beginning of creation a precedent that mankind was not meant to go at this life alone. If you don't know what a precedent is, it's something that establishes, uh, something, a, a decision that establishes things for the future, right? Um, there's a lot of precedental court cases in America that establish, if this happens again, this is how we go at this, right? John 17, 20 through 23, uh, verse 20 says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that, the world, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved, me, loved them, even as you loved me. And see, we see Jesus here is praying for mankind, that, that mankind would come to know God at the level that Jesus did, that, that they are literally together one. And it's because of what Jesus did that we're capable of becoming one with the Father. The, uh, the example that he said of what it means to live a life in accordance with God's word, if we know that God is the word, then living a life in accordance to God, God's word allows us to draw close to him. Amen? See, uh, in, in Genesis 2, verse 18, it says, Then the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone. And we, and we see when, when God is, is in the midst of creation, in Genesis 1, 26, he says, he says, let us make man in our image. So it's, it's everywhere in the Bible that we're not supposed to go out this life alone, right? We're, let us make man in our images in re- reference to God is, is referring to the Trinity. Let us make him in our image, right? There, there was conference. The, there was relationship among the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit even before creation. See, even, even, you know, if you look back in the Old Testament, even Moses had Aaron, right? We, we all know, well, I shouldn't say we all know, but if, if you've been around long enough, and I've, I've shared this in some sermons, Moses couldn't, couldn't talk very well, right? Moses, Moses couldn't talk very well. We all kind of picture Moses as this super powerful guy, but Moses, Moses wasn't good at speaking, right? He, he stuttered. He, he wasn't confident. And so God, what does God do? He gives him Aaron. In the midst of his weakness, he gives him Aaron. Right, we know that Elijah had Elisha. We even know that Job had uh, Elihu, if you will. When when Job, if you know the story of Job, everything's being stripped away from Job, right? And and in the midst of that, he's kind of starting to whine at the end a little bit. But Elihu comes along and he reminds him of his purpose, and that's what relationship is all about. 
See, we as humans uh, were never meant to walk alone, whether introverted or ex- extroverted, whether you're outspoken or grave, whatever your personality, we're meant to live in harmony with others. This is the true definition of what Christian community is supposed to look like. And this is why Pastor Derek titled the sermon series, Together We Are One Community, because community is defined within the vehicle of relationship. You cannot have community without relationship. So in order for us to understand the importance of community and the Christian walk, we have to understand what God has set the example of us for in relationship. Community is not comprised of individuals living independently, okay, but rather people who make up one body of solidarity, mission, and accountability to one another. So how then do we find community within the context of Christianity? It is in community that we realize the structure upon which, is God, which God has built the human life, relationship with him, and relationship with those around us. Community is meant to be the church. The biblical concept of organized community is the church. Now, I want to stress this. That, that C is uncapitalized for a reason. Okay? And one of the things I want to talk about today is, is our skewed concept the world's skewed concept, our school skewed concept of what the church really is, right? The church was never meant to be, okay, the church was never meant to be a meeting time, a meeting place, a building, and that just meets on Sunday mornings, right? Mind blown, right? Like, mind blown. The church, people of the church, members of the church, was meant to be a lifestyle. You guys here? Lights are bright. The church was meant to be a lifestyle. The church was never meant to be, a, you know, just a single location where people meet and that's what defined church is. No, it's meant to be, church is meant to be people living in accordance with the word of God, in accountability with one another, growing in the spirit, growing in relationships, sharing life with one another, sharing pain, sharing hurt, sharing all these things together and sharing Christ with others. You know, the, the reason that, that people don't come to church today, there, there's, there's a number of factors, but the number one reason they say people don't go to church is because of hypocrisy. The only reason hypocrisy would be a stumbling block to coming to church is because people don't actually understand what church is supposed to be about. We've made church into something where, where it looks like we come on Sundays and we have to present this, project this perfect character to everyone or else, oh, people will know that I messed up. Or people will know that something's going on in my life. That that is the reason why people are upset about hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, church is not about living a perfect life, but it's in living in pursuit of a perfect life with other people. We're never meant to attain perfection. The Bible makes that very clear. That one person did that, but he did it for everyone. And because he did it for everyone, we're able to walk in pursuit of that. But we have to understand the architecture, right, upon which God built the church, and that is relationship. It's relationship. It's not just a, it's not just a branding. It's not just gateway church. It's not just our vision. It's not just the building, right? Church is meant to happen Monday through Sunday. I shared this in my last sermon, okay, Roll with me here. Monday through Saturday are the meat and potatoes of your faith. Monday through Saturday, the times, the times when you're sharing Jesus with people, that, that it's, it's unpredictable. You can't predict a meeting time with someone at your work when they share something with you 
that they need to hear Jesus. You can't predict those things. It's meant to be life groups when people come together and they pray for one another. And they're on, you're on your knees individually. You're, you're reading the word of God. You're calling out to God because you understand that you can't do it by yourself. That's what church is meant to be. But so often, we get it skewed, and because we get it skewed, people have the wrong representation of what church is. I want to share, uh, uh, share a story with you. I recently started uh, going back to class at UCCS. This is my last semester. Praise God. Thank you so much. And I'm in a class. Um, I'm in a class that's about religion and politics. A lot of fun, right? At a liberal college, it's a lot of fun. I, I'm not going to go into that. But on the fir- in the first day of class, okay, we're all sitting, and the the class is kind of like a, a what do they call it? Theater style seating. And so, of course, I I sit at the top, right? If there's a fire, I want to be out of there as quick as possible. So I sit at the top, right? And I also I'm a people watcher. I like to observe what's going on with people. And so I'm sitting at the top. There's another guy that, that just happens to sit down next to me, okay? And then people start filing into the class. And what, what happens is the professors, the professors ask us two questions, okay? I'm only going to focus on one or else you guys are going to be like, ah, oh, you know. The, the one question was, is, is America a Christian nation and do you think that it should be? Now, okay, <laughs> The, from, what, from what I could comprehend, so we had, to, we had to introduce the person next to us, and then we had to answer one of the two questions, okay? A lot of people chose to answer that question, right? And as people are kind of going along, it uh, gets about halfway up, and I'm like, man, I don't, think there's, I don't think there's another Christian in this class, right? And people, people are, are uh, they're like, no, America's not a Christian nation, you know, uh, all, all this. And, you know, I'm, I'm thankful that the professors were very unbiased because, Statistically, America still is a Christian nation, okay? De- demographically, America is a Christian nation. Now, the should-be part was, the, was the fun, that was the fun time to listen to, right? And, and it gets about halfway up, and I don't think, I don't think anyone has said any, anything good about the church, right? And uh, me, the guy next to me, we, we had talked to, we were, so we decided what we are going inter- to introduce ourselves with, and I introduced myself as, you know, he's like, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a youth pastor, and, and turns out he's, he's, an, he's a Christian as well. He happened to be, there might have been another Christian in the class. I, I don't know. It's not me, up to me to judge. But So, so we're, t- we're talking. It's coming about halfway up, right? And, and nobody's saying anything good about church. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, this is going to be a long semester, right? Not only is it going to be a long semester, but we have an election coming up in November, right? So there's, there's a number of factors that, that I'm like, man, this is like, this is a good harvest field. This is a challenge. This one, this one's a challenge. So it gets about halfway up, and I turn to Edmund, my uh, my new friend, and I say, Edmund, I know that you were going to tell everyone I'm a pastor, but there will be a time for that to happen, right? There will be a time for that to happen, and and as it keeps going, uh, one of the one of the ladies she she shares about, you know, should it be a Christian nation? She says, no, it shouldn't be a Christian nation because Christians go to church on Sunday and then, you know, pastors, they ju- they'll just screw you on Monday. Now, I'm quoting someone, right? So don't, don't get mad at me for saying screw in church, all right? So. And, and I, I'm sitting there like, oh, this is juicy, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, is it, is it okay that I share this story with you guys? Like, what's going on in my life? Okay, just making sure. 
And so I'm sitting back there, and I, <laughs> sorry, I look over at Edmund, right? He, he looks over to me, and he's like, <laughs> kind of like, like, what are you going to say type of face, right? And the professor's like, well, does anyone have anything to say about that? I just, I just sat back, crossed my arms. Nope, I, got, I don't have anything to say. And so uh, I, I got to thinking about that response, and I'm not going to lie, at first it made me very mad, right? Uh, you know, I'm a pastor. Uh, I, f- I feel like I, I carry the Christian faith well in front of uh, other people that I'm trying to minister to. And, and the stereotype, right? Like, you talk about stereotypes of Christians. That one's just blatant. The professor didn't say anything like, well, you know, be careful, you might offend someone. And so I'm, I'm sitting there, and, and I'm thinking, man, why would I get offended at that? You know, as, I, as, I'm drive, as I'm driving home from school, I'm like, what, why would I get offended from that? When that's the reality of how people view the church today. And when, and when that struck me, my, my, my mindset turned from offense to compassion. My heart broke for that lady because there was obviously an experience in her life where she encountered someone who, who professed and claimed to be a Christian and then on Monday, some, something happened. Or, or she heard it from someone else, a close friend, where that, that, that was hurtful. See, those kind of things come when people are looking for something, but they find the opposite of what they were going to expect. Those pains come when you're looking for an answer. You're looking for something, but you get the wrong representation of what you're looking for, and it's not what you expect, so you reject it. We have to become willing to be good stewards of the gospel because that's what the church is. The gospel lays out for us what the church is meant to be, and it's meant to be in relation. You know, Paul shares in, in 1 Corinthians 12 about the body of Christ. And, and in, that, in that passage, he shares that there are many different parts to the body, right? Much like we have a heart, we have kidneys, we have lungs, we have all these things that operate and have a purpose individually, but when they, when they can come together, when everything works together in a system, a well-defined system, that you, don't, you no longer look at the individual parts of someone and the individual purpose, but you look at the body, you look at the person, and that becomes a representation of all those parts, You see, when we can learn as the church to operate in the gifts that God has given us, that is when we will become a representation of the body of Christ. That is when we will become a representation of the body of Christ. The great thing about the body of Christ is that he changes lives. The true church changes lives. The true church will see fruit. One of the, one of the largest growing demographics in America, and, and my professor shared this in the class, actually. If you don't know what a demographic is, it's a way to define a society, right? So, so you could say, like, in America, this is just a random example. In America, 15% of the people are between the ages of 10 to 15, or 15% of the people are Caucasian, whatever it is, okay? One of the largest growing demographic sectors in America are those that consider themselves spiritual, so they believe in a God, 
but not religious. They're not affiliated with the church. And that, that number is growing steadily. Christianity in America has declined from 78% from 78% 20 years ago to 70% today. Okay, they say that they say that uh, uh, a, f- a fourth of the people, there's only, um, excuse me, 4% of people in the United States grow up without a religion and come to know a religion later in life. There are four times as many people that go the other way. That, that, I think it's important that we actually know what's going on in America around us, right? I think it's important that we actually understand and can step back and look at what the, how is the church operating, Right? Because if, if, we're living, if we're living as a church who loves and acts and pursues Christ, we're going to see fruit. It's a principle. Because Jesus changes lives. We, we don't have to worry about creating the message because the message was already created for us. We have to worry about becoming good stewards and carriers of that message. And when, it, when you think about the difference in that, it becomes pretty easy to realize that all you have to do is carry the message. All you have to do is live a life in pursuit of perfection. Live a life in pursuit of Christ. And when we come to understand that, we understand that there is a need in the church today to really step back and view, man, is this a community? Or is this just a place that people show up on Sunday mornings? Are you guys, are, you guys, are people here today? Because I, I'm not just preaching this and hoping that it falls on ears and, and I have some people come up to me and say, man, that's an awesome message. My goal is that this would transform and change your heart and that there would be conviction that would come into your life. Not condemnation for what you haven't been doing, but conviction for what you need to do moving forward. Now, are you all quiet? I got to tell you, when I was studying this message, when, as I was walking I started studying this message before I went into that class about community and what the church is. And God moved in a way that, that it was a revelation to me. Whoa. Whoa. That's how people view the church. That, that struck me. But when you, get, when you get struck by the word of God, when you get struck by revelation in your life, you have the decision and the choice. This is the best thing about God is that he gives us free will and that we're not robots. That you have the choice to move from one spot to the other. Not only do you have the choice, but you have the ability through God. And when we come to understand that we have the ability to move mountains, the Bible says that you can, you can move mountains and shake the earth with faith the size of, size of a mustard seed. Now, I believe God isn't necessarily talking about, well, you have to have exactly this much faith to move a mountain. What he's saying is that you can't do anything on your own, but you can do a whole lot with a little bit of me. And when we come to understand that in the church, we, we, it no longer becomes about how we're living our lives. It no longer becomes about a checklist of, okay, I came this Sunday, this Sunday, this Sunday. It no longer becomes a checklist. It becomes an understanding and a humility to understand how much we need God to operate through us. And the way that God operates through us is through relationship. And when we understand the importance of relationship, we come to a place of passion and compassion. Now, I, I, shared, I shared a sermon about passion last Sunday with the youth. I think it, I think it hit pretty well, Okay. But we had, we had some new youth, some newer youth. I'm up there, and I'm, I'm like, man, 
You have to live with passion. I've been outside of the country. I'm blessed to have gone on a missions trip. If you've ever gone outside of the country to a missions trip and seen what a church is like outside of the country, you come back to America and you are instantly depressed. Okay, I, I, I went to Taiwan. Some of you guys, some of you guys know that. I went to Taiwan a, a couple years ago. And I remember we were there at a youth conference filled with, uh, you know, there were hundreds, hundreds of youth. Right? And, and I'm up at the front, like, you know, because I just want to be a part of it. I love youth. I, I had the opportunity. I played basketball with some of the kids before the, before the thing, before the, the conference. And so I'm up there jumping up and down, worshiping, right? And now these, <laughs> these Taiwanese kids don't know much English, but they know some, right? And so I'm, I'm like, jumping, I'm praising God, and I'm kind of like, I kind of like look around me, and there's like 10 people. Ten Taiwanese kids who are looking to me, jumping higher than me, and they're like, come on. <laughs> I'm trying, man. White men can't jump. Right? Right? I'm trying. These, ki- these kids were filled with passion. And so I'm sharing last Sunday about the importance of having passion in your life. And, and, and there's some of them who are like, yeah, definitely. But some of them are sitting there staring at me like, like, Whoa. <laughs> Like, man, that's weird. Now, remember, I driving home, like, you always, you know how you always, like, find the best stuff to say after the actual situation? You're like, man, if I would have said that, like, <clears throat> well, that happened to me, right? I was like, man, I wish I would have said that in my sermon. I came to realize, man, if I would have given that same speech, that same speech for the purpose of a football game in front of a bunch of kids, they would have been jumping up and down. But because I was in the church, there were people looking at me like I was crazy. I think the best thing about the kingdom of God is that we have the best message in the world. We have the best vision in the world. We have the best purpose in the world. I could get a bunch, I could get a bunch of kids pumped up to win a football game, man. I really think I would be an awesome football coach. So if anyone's hiring, let me know, okay? <laughs> I'm just kidding. But when, it, but when it comes to the kingdom of God, we miss the excitement of the vision because we don't get it. We don't get it. The kingdom of God is about transforming and changing lives. Community and church is about transforming and changing lives. It's about seeing people freed from depression. Seeing people freed from the things that are going on in their life that are binding them in depression and anxiety. And lust, and sin, and all these things that the world will tell you, well, you just have to deal with. Well, guess what? You shouldn't have to deal with them in the church. That was a quiet amen, man. I was expecting something roaring in here. (laughs) Thank you. Wow, that was awesome. Today I want to talk to you. I want to go from the how. I want to, excuse me, I want to go from the why. To, to the practicality of how can we root ourselves, how can we root ourselves in a community that honors Christ? See, we, we've introduced the problem, right? People are leaving the church. People don't see a need for church in their lives. They don't see a need for Christian community. And when we understand Christian community is supposed to be the church, not capital C, but the church, the body of Christ. 
we, we understand that there's a problem. And the question I want to propose to you today is why in such troubling times as today do we see people flee, fleeing from community or the church and not running to it? I strongly believe that it's because we are missing the relational element in the body of Christ and it comes from a lack of passion and therefore compassion for others. Check out this point. We are missing passion. We need to move from preference to purpose, right? We need to move from preference to purpose and from participation to ownership. We need to move from preference to purpose and from participation to ownership. Pastor Derek has talked about, talked about purpose over preference a lot lately. And, and it's something that, that, that has been on my heart. I wrote it, I wrote it in my office. I've, uh, you know, it's something I've caught on to because so often we don't even realize. Okay, the, I think the problem is that we don't realize that we're putting our preference over the purpose. Oftentimes it, it's, it's a slow walk away from where we actually want to be. You know, I was watching a, a video on ESPN the other day, and it was uh, uh, Tim Tebow and, and another guy. They're interviewing Nick Saban. He's the, uh, he's the head coach at Alabama football. Alabama football is, if, if you don't know sports, Alabama football is very dominant. They, they win a lot of games. They win a lot of championships. One of the, one of the best quotes uh, uh, that I think I've ever heard, and I don't think Nick Saban himself quoted it, but he brought it up. And they're asking him, what are you going to do after you coach Alabama football? He says, you know, I'm not, I'm not necessarily worried about the what, but I do know that complacency is what kills excellence. How many of us, including myself, have become complacent in our pursuit of God? How many of us have just come to accept that our salvation happened a long time ago and that we don't need to pick up our cross daily? How many of us have come to accept that this is just what life is supposed to be like? That it's a rarity that people come to Christ. That it's a rarity that you get to pray for people at work. I think it's funny, I think it's funny in the scriptures when you see Jesus going from town to town doing all these miracles. And it was important enough in the Bible for them to say that Jesus couldn't do miracles in his own town. It's the only place, it's the only place that Jesus couldn't operate because of familiarity, right? The people knew him. They knew him as a kid, right? So they didn't respect him. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't see the need for him. To, to, when you look at that and you understand that that's the one place in the Bible that Jesus couldn't operate, yet we've come to, we've come to understand life as actually seeing lives transformed as a rarity. I'm not saying this for everyone. Look, if you're seeing lives transformed and changed every day in your life, bravo. The next step is to help other people come to that place and momentum is building in the church. But we've come to a place where, where we're like, man, um, I can't wait for uh, you know, a powerful worship night or a church service because that's where that happens. There's one place, right, where Jesus couldn't operate. It was, it was the exception and not the rule, but yet oftentimes we get that mixed around that the rule is that Jesus can't operate in, in everyday life and that the exception is that some people might come to God. But my Bible tells me that I'll do even greater things than Jesus. That's what my Bible says. And, if, and when I come to understand that, it, it's, it's meant, why can't, I, why can't I operate exactly how Jesus did day to day? 
because I don't have the faith. I don't have the purpose over the preferences in my life. I don't have the purpose of what the church is supposed to be in seeing lives transformed and changed because my preferences get in the way. When you, when you catch on to the purpose, when you build a habit of putting the purpose first, it becomes your preference. And then it gets, then it gets fun. When, when your purpose becomes the preference, when you move from participation to ownership of something, how, how, much, more, how much more do you love something that you own than just something that you get to borrow? Like it depends on what it is, right? <laughs> how much more would you love a Lamborghini if your name was on the title than someone letting you drive it? That's theirs, and saying, please don't wreck this. You break it, you buy it, right? How much more will you love Jesus if you understand that you can own him, that you can, that you can have the power of Christ operating in your life, that you can have the love of Jesus flowing through you and not just being a bystander of what it looks like? How much more will you love it when you understand that Jesus has given you the keys to free people instead of just following someone else who has the keys as well? That is what the church is about. That he gave it to every single one of us sitting in this room. He gave it to every single one of us who might believe that he is Christ. That we would profess with our mouth and believe in his heart that he is Lord. And when we understand that that is the purpose that other people would come and, and that they would see the purpose. We build a community that fosters the love of Christ. And we know what happens when the love of Christ operates. Lives are changed. See, passion leads to roots. Passion leads to roots. In Matthew 13, uh, we're not going to read all of it today, but I encourage you to go back if you're looking through the notes this week. And read through the parable of the sower. If you've never read through the parable of the sower, I'll just give you a quick synopsis. Because this is how we're going to end today. In the parable of the sower, Jesus shares a story about three different, three different types of soils that the seed falls on. The seed is representative of the word of God, the message of, of the gospel. The first, right, is it falls along the path. And the, bird, the birds come and eat it up. The second is the rocky soil. And the third is the good soil. Now, I, like I said, I encourage you to go in and study this because uh, this, is what, this is what the whole idea of being rooted is about, okay? This is from, a, this is from an awesome book that I recently read. It's not, I, the, the concept is from an awesome book by Benning Liebster called Rooted, okay? It's a great book. I encourage anyone to read it. But I want to talk to you today about how we can root ourselves in community and a, and a lot of what it is is examining our soil, because, because so often we think, we, think that, uh, you know, we think that other things are more important than the soil, what, what, what we allow the seed, the word of God, to fall into. Does that make sense to everyone? Like I said, I would encourage you to read that. It's a great uh, you know, principle in life to have. But I want to give you three keys to being rooted in community. Okay? Number one, know where God has called us. We have to know where God has called us. And with each one of these, I want you to ask yourself a question. In knowing where God has called you, you have to ask yourself the question, why are you where you are? 
John 13, 34 through 35 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. But this, all people will know, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Right? This isn't a recommendation. Okay, I'm just going to put that out there for you. Jesus is not recommending that you love one another and it might go well with you. He's saying, love one another, right? And because of this, if I'm too sarcastic, I'm sorry. (laughs) Love one another, and because of this, this is how people will know that you are mine, right? It's not not by living a perfect life, right? This, this, this This is the problem with hypocrisy. Is that people think that they'll will people think right that that uh, uh, Christians will be identified by how well or perfect they live their life? The Bible clearly says, no, you you will live life by your love for one another, and that's why when I was sitting in the back of the class, I'm so glad that hit me because I'm like, man, I just I don't want to like I don't want to be like, oh, well, I'm a pastor, right? And, and that lady, the, our whole relationship is ruined at that point because she feels guilty, she, whatever. You know, she might not. It's fine. But I want, I want to build relationship with her, right? She's an older lady. She's, it seems like she's very set in her ways. But I want to build a relationship with her without, without uh, asserting my positional influence as a pastor. Because when that happens, when she knows that I'm a pastor, I know that she's not going to listen to me, Right? So I want to build relationship with her, not from my identification as, you know, I'm a pastor or I'm a Christian, but I want to build it through love and the example of, of what love is. Right? Pastor talks about this a lot, how he shares with people Scripture without saying that it's Scripture. Right? It's not blasphemous. It's strategic. <laughs> When you, when you understand, like, man, we are, we are on here, we got to think about this. Because I, I strongly believe she'll come to know the Lord. I do. And, and when that testimony is built, people better watch out. Because if, if she was hurt that bad and she, she can come out of that, imagine, imagine what other people have walked through and how she can be a witness to them. So we, we have to ask ourselves the question, why are where we are? At Gateway Church, our vision is to love God, love others, and make disciples. Matthew 28, it says, go therefore and make disciples, right? It, it, it says it to everyone. This is, like I said, it's not a recommendation. But why are you here at Gateway Church? Is it because you've bought into the, the purpose, the vision of loving God, loving others, and making disciples? We always have to be able to ask ourselves questions or else we're victim to falling into complacency. Ask yourself that question, are you here because of the purpose? See, we have to stop focusing on just the logistics of Christianity, what, what you have to do, the checklist and everything, and begin to focus on the purpose of Christianity and let those things become a byproduct of our relationship with Jesus. We have to, we have to let the do's and don'ts become a natural byproduct of falling in love with who Jesus is and how he tells us to live our lives. Amen? And when we all can buy into that, there's a level of accountability that comes with that with one another in the midst of community. That people are setting the example and that because relationship is there, those things can be set in love. 
that when someone is, someone is straying away, right, it's not a, well, you know better than that. It's a, no, just, just come back over here, man, right? Right? Amen? Okay. All right, great. No, that was good. All right, number two here. I, I'm, I'm closing up, guys. Give me, uh, you know, give me a few moments, and then we'll pray. Number two, find our place within community. In order to be rooted, we have to find our place within the community. When we ask ourselves, why are we where we're at? Now we can begin to ask ourselves, are we fostering growth for all, or are we stunting growth for others? Is this, is this too hard? Okay. Are we fostering growth for everyone, or are we stunting growth for others? When you understand the purpose, right, again, you put the preference to the side. That's, that's what this whole question is about. Is in church, is it me, 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 I need to be fed, I need to be fed, or are you feeding yourself Monday through Saturday, and on Sunday you're just celebrating that you're full and you get some dessert? Because when you're already full when you come to church, you don't have to worry about filling yourself. You, you, you can worry about filling other people who, who need to understand that they, they should be filled during the week. You know, uh, Jeannie Mayo, who's a, a youth pastor, one of the most powerful things she ever told me was so simple. I went, I went to a prayer summit and she was speaking. She, she proposed a question. How do you know that you love somebody? Right? How do you know that you love and care about somebody? And I was like, man, how do you define that? Like, that's hard to define, right? She said, I believe that you know, right, that you love and care about somebody when you are on your knees praying for them daily. Now, now that, that hit me strong. I don't know about you guys, but her point was because if you understand what Christ can do through a prayer... For somebody. That is the best thing that you could ever do for somebody is get on your knees and pray for them. Get on your knees and pray for them. Sacrifice your time and allow God to operate through a prayer and intervene in their lives. Can I get an amen? Or do we have any prayer warriors in the house? Sorry. Go. Is there another church around here that... Do we have any prayer warriors in the house of God, right? It's kind of a, you know, a, a Christian term, if you will. But you wage war with prayer, right? You wage war with prayer. And I believe that when you truly love and care about someone and, and you understand the purpose of God and what he's about, that we will begin to get on our knees and pray for the community of Colorado, Colorado Springs, that we will begin to pray for the people that we want to see freed from all those things, and that is what a community is about, joining together in prayer, right? We, join, we do a great job of joining together in worship, right? But let us join together in prayer Monday through Saturday for one another that we might see passion come to a new level and that compassion would become a byproduct of that for the community around us, Amen. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12 says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. No matter what gifts and talents God has given you, you have a place in the church to operate. There's this misconception that the only people that can serve 
or, or, or impact in a big way in church are those that work full-time in the church. Some, some, of, the, some, of, the, some of the best examples I have are, are my family. I tell you, my, my, my dad shares with me all the time stories about, about being a paramedic and how he transforms and changes lives and sees people get plugged into a church. My dad's not a full-time minister, right? But he is full-time chasing after God and passionate about Jesus. And, and, and that is one of the, the best examples because you, everyone can do that. And quite frankly, if everyone did that, we would experience a revival in America. Because in order to revive something, it has to be dying. And if we know that it's gone from 78% to 70, it's dying. It's dying. It won't die, but it's dying. And there's a place for revival in America. When we begin to care about people. We begin to pray for people. See, we, we, we want some profound thing like, uh, let's, go, let's go out and put this you know, ministry event on at a church and let's get a... Jesus made it as simple as, no, no. <laughs> Programs aren't going to change lives. Ministry events aren't going to change lives. It's the people that are putting them on that are going to change lives. It's the people that are there that are going to change lives. It's the people who prayed before the prayer night that are going to change lives. It's the people who are willing to submit themselves to God in a humble way of saying, man, this isn't very glamorous, but I know it's powerful. Can I get an amen? amen. It, the, the Bible says, let the learned in the house say amen. Okay, so for those of you who are like, man, why are they saying, I say it, amen, right? Why are they saying that? The Bible says, let the learned in the house say amen, right? Number three, in closing, learn how to grow where we are at. Learn how to grow where we are at. The question we have to ask ourselves is what's changed since we have become a part of the given community? Don't settle for mediocrity. Don't, don't settle for staying in the position that you're in, stuck in whatever you're in. Because there's freedom that can come. There's freedom that can come through community. But it, it, it takes us building relationship with one another. On, on this point, Acts 2, 2.47 says, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. We know, we know that in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people came to Christ in one day. I, I would love to see that day. When 3,000 people come to Christ in one day. But do we believe that it can happen? Do we believe that it can happen? One of, the, one of my favorite parts about the church is that it, it doesn't just happen in the temple. And Acts, it, it shares that they went from house to house. One of, one of the, I'll just say this. One of the best things that you can do, okay, is start a life group. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, gosh. I don't got time for that. The problem, the problem with life groups is that, that we have uh, put them in a box. A life group can be as simple as you having two of your friends over for dinner, listening to the things going on in their lives, and praying for them. One of the best things that you can do is start a life group. We say here at Gateway that our life groups are about doing life together. 
we buy into the purpose of that, it makes it pretty easy. All, all, all the vision is asking you to do, all Pastor Derek is asking us to do, is simply to do life together with one another. Now that's not too profound, right? Because that, that's not from Pastor Derek, that's from the Bible. Newsflash, right? <laughs> He's just being a good steward of the message. We're called to do life together. And in the context of community, in order for us to be rooted in community, it takes us understanding the need for relationship with one another to grow. Now, I always share, I get touched and impacted by great sermons. I really do. But look, when I look back on my life, when I look back and say, oh, yeah, man, that really solidified my faith. I wouldn't be here if it weren't for that. It wasn't the times when I was sitting in a chair listening to a sermon. It was the times when people took the time out of their day to either pray for me or speak something into my life. Those are impactful times when you know that someone is sacrificing for your good. We have to become a community that sacrifices for other people's good. You know, I think there's, uh, there's probably too many of us in here that don't know other people. Now, I'm not going to do a big meet and greet. Don't get scared, right? <laughs> but I do want to challenge you to this. I want to challenge you that today after service, before darting out of here, if you, if you have something to do, completely understandable, okay, that you would take the time to get to know somebody that you've never met. You would be, sh now some of you introverts are like, oh, no, 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 right? <laughs> I get it, right? I'm extroverted. You know, I, I can't say I understand where you're coming from. But you will be shocked at the commonalities that you will have with the people that you meet. I can find something in common with almost everyone in this room to talk about. When we foster love, when new people are walking through the doors of Gateway Church, do they get a taste of fruit? The fruit of this church. I think that the fruit should be defined when people get a taste of your life. Do they taste Jesus? When people get a taste of your life, do they taste Jesus? It's from, from the book Rooted, and, and he says this is actually what fruit is. It's, it's not like how many people are here, but when people get a taste of Gateway Church, when people get a taste of the greeters at the door, when people get a taste of our worship service and our celebration services, do they taste Jesus? I think that's powerful. It's important for us to be rooted in community. I want to close. Uh, if you guys would stand to your feet with me, we're going to pray. I want to close with this. There's an amazing man coming here um, in about, a, uh, I think, about a month. His name's Larry Kreider. Now, he's going to put on um, a seminar, a teaching for how to lead a life group, okay? This guy, uh, his church started with a, a very small life group and is now over, you know, 1,000 people, right, Mike? 2,300 approximately now. It's and that's just an example of what God can do through, through a group that is committed to loving one another, right? But I want to challenge you, if you feel led and called to do that in the purpose of being rooted in community and chasing after the purpose of loving God, loving others, and making disciples, you can get more information in the, in the info center, okay? But I want to challenge you, like I said, please go back this week and read Matthew 13 about the parable of the sower and really reflect on this. The message is never just supposed to happen on Sunday and then never listened to again. It's meant to be reflective upon during the week as we're growing in Christ. Amen. Father, I pray, God, that you would be with us here at Gateway Church.
that everything that we do would be about you, Father, and that we would do nothing without your guidance, without your word at the forefront of our purpose. I pray that we would be a people who sacrifice for others. I pray that we would be a people who are, who are in pursuit of becoming excellent messengers of the gospel. A people who are in pursuit of becoming excellent in our pursuit of relationship with you. And that we would ask ourselves the questions necessary, Father, to pursue excellence and stay away from complacency. God, I pray uh, for the people out there, Father, that there are, there are plenty of people to harvest out there, Father, for your kingdom, God, that they, would be, that they would see freedom, that they would see what true love is. And I pray, God, that, that we would be the, the people that you use to do that, to operate through, God. That we're just broken vessels, God, and, and somehow we're lucky enough that you choose to use us. God, we're thankful for that. I praise you. I worship you. I pray for a, a great week, Father, and that we would become represent, representations of your kingdom in a, in a mighty and powerful and loving way. In Jesus' name, amen. So if, if this is your first time before you go, uh, we do have a guest welcome happening in the southwest corner of our building. We would love to get to know you a little bit. Uh, we also have a small gift for you as well, so it's definitely worth going. Um, but uh, <laughs> other than that, you guys have a great week. Be blessed, okay? <laughs>